All right. You kids ready? You all ready? Listen to this scripture from Acts chapter 16. But at midnight, come on up. You can come sit up here. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. I want you to remember that because I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what was happening with Paul and Silas. So what were they doing at midnight? They were praying and singing psalms. And the prisoners were listening to them, kind of like what Brother Walter said. He witnessed to one guy, but another guy was just listening. They were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Okay, let me sit down here by you guys. Move back just a little bit. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Ooh, I just stepped on your toe. All right. So Paul and Silas, if you remember from last week, what they do? They cast a demon out of a slave girl. And we'll talk just a little bit more about that. Well, when they did that, they made some people mad. And they made the people so mad that they called the police on them. And all the people in the town got really mad at Paul and Silas. And they beat them up really bad, and then they threw them into prison. But not just in the prison, like way down inside the prison where there was no light and no fresh air. It was really a bad place. But Paul and Silas are in this deep, dark prison, hurting because they were beaten. But you know what? They weren't crying. They weren't complaining. They weren't feeling sorry for themselves, saying, gosh, God, we were just out preaching the gospel, doing a good thing, cast a demon out of a girl. And look, is this what we get? Is this the reward we get? You throw us into prison and and we get beaten? That wasn't their attitude. They were praying and they were singing to God. They were thankful. They were rejoicing at midnight. And the prisoners that were in prison with them were listening to their prayers and their songs, and suddenly, the Bible says, there was an earthquake that shook the foundation of the prison. You know what else it did? It loosed all the chains that the prisoners were chained with, and it opened all the prison doors. And what do you think all those prisoners did when their chains fell off and the doors opened? You think they ran away? They didn't. They stayed right there. And you know that that was a greater miracle than even the earthquake and even the doors opening. I'll tell you why they stayed there. I'm going to tell you in just a minute. But as a result of that, someone got saved. And their salvation is recorded for us in the Bible. And their salvation is encouragement for us today. And Paul and Silas getting put in prison is encouragement for us today. Because sometimes hard things happen to us. And we might wonder, God, why have you allowed this to happen? But God has a reason for everything, even the hard things that happen in our lives. And this is what we see in this story. Paul and Silas' tribulation turned into another man and another family's and other people's salvation. If they wouldn't have got thrown into that prison, there are people that would, are in heaven today that wouldn't be there 
if God would not have allowed them to get put in prison. So when hard things happen to you, and you wonder, God, why have you allowed this to happen? Just trust. He's got a plan, and he's got a purpose in everything that he does. And so when we find ourselves in those situations, should we moan and cry and complain and go, or should we pray and sing and thank God and wait to see what miraculous thing he's going to do. What do you think we should do? Pray and sing and wait and see what miraculous thing God is going to do because he will. Amen? And that's good news. Father, thank you for your good news. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose in everything that happens, even the hard things. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. I thank you for these children, and I pray, God, you fill their hearts with faith. And Lord, their lives would give great witness and great glory to you. Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you why. Now I'm going to give you the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. But you don't know who Paul Harvey is, so. <clears throat> but that's okay. Just make sure you know who Jesus is. All right, Acts chapter 16, we're going to be in verses 19 through 34. So last week we saw Paul cast the demon out of the slave girl. Remember, this slave girl had been following Paul and Silas around for days, and she was constantly declaring, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now what she said wasn't a lie, it was the truth. But Paul became agitated with the demon that was in her, because it was almost like a mocking thing. And even though she was telling the truth, it was coming from a source that was a lie. And Paul cast out the spirit of divination from that girl. And her masters, remember she was a slave, so the people that owned her realized after this spirit was cast out of her that their, their hope of profiting from her was gone because that they would use this girl to get people to pay them money so she could tell them their fortunes. She was a fortune teller. So, that's where we stopped last week. Let's pick up in verse 19, and I'm going to read to verse 34. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. And having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison Awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul 
called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. The word of the Lord. Father, thank you for the gospel of Christ. Thank you for this powerful word and the powerful gospel that is the power of God to salvation. Father, I pray that you would break through the hardness of our hearts, that you would take the water of your word and wash over us and soften our hearts and let it soak into the ground of our heart, the good soil of our heart, and let it bring forth a harvest, a righteous harvest, as your holy seed is planted in the hearts of each one of us today, that the fruit of your Spirit would manifest and give witness and glory to Christ in this dark world that we live in, that people around us who are in darkness, who are darkness, would have the hope that is found in Jesus, the only hope we have in life and in death. We thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul and Silas are imprisoned, think about this, for making another person free. In other words, they were put in prison for freeing another kind of prisoner. When they cast the spirit of divination out of the slave girl, they liberated her from the demonic forces that controlled her. Now, she was still a slave owned by masters, but she was free. And our freedom is not just our temporal or external freedom. True freedom is not about whether I'm incarcerated behind bars. True freedom is not whether I'm owned or whether I'm a free man or a free woman. True freedom is what has happened in my heart. True freedom means that I've been set free from sin and from death. The law that works in my members. The thing that I cannot be freed from by myself the thing that I can't pay to be freed from, the thing that only Jesus can set me free from. And this is what happened. They freed this young slave girl. They cast the demon out of her, and her masters lost all their hope of profiting from her, and they became so angry that they had Paul and Silas imprisoned. So Paul and Silas were not just imprisoned. First, they had many stripes laid on their backs being severely beaten with rods, the Bible says. So I want you to understand, I want you to, to, to grasp. Sometimes we read the scripture and we don't fully understand what's happening here because we read over the necessary details that God gives to us, but you realize there's a lot more information here. You realize there's a lot more that happened surrounding all of this than is recorded here. More than likely, there were more people saved than the jailer and his family or his household. It doesn't tell us that, but I think it would be reasonable to understand. 
And we'll look at why it would be reasonable to, to maybe assume that. And so when we read the scripture, we, not, we need to read what is written there, but we also need to see into, not read into, but see into what's happening. So think about it. Paul and Silas were in prison, and it says that many stri stripes were laid on their backs, being severely beaten with rods. This was not a light chastisement. The torturers of that day had made beating someone like a science. They knew how to beat someone to the point to where they weren't dead, but you wished you were dead. And so they didn't just give Paul and Silas a few taps with a, with a cane or a rod. They laid many stripes on them, beating them with rods. In other words, these guys were beat severely. They were bleeding, they were broken, they were beaten. These torturers knew how to beat someone to create maximum suffering, but not to death. This was the fate Paul and Silas suffered because they freed a demon-possessed girl from her spiritual bondage by the power of the gospel. And after the severe beating, they were not just put into the prison, but the jailer was instructed to keep them securely, which meant they were to be put not just in the regular prison, in regular cells, but they were to be taken into the innermost, to the deepest part of the prison, where there was no light and there was no fresh air. And you do understand that prisons back then didn't have running water and, and indoor plumbing. So if you were put in that prison, that inner prison, down in that dungeon, and that's what it was, whoever was down there and whatever they had to do and whatever they did down there, that's what happened down there. And no one went down there to clean that out because no one cared about the prisoners. They were prisoners. They didn't care how clean the prison was. They didn't care how nice the prison smelled. They didn't care about any of that. These were prisoners and they had no rights. Now they had rights under Roman law, but you understand Rome wasn't concerned about how nice jailers were to their prisoners. Rome was concerned that someone wasn't killed that wasn't supposed to be killed, and this is why beating them, torturing them, became an art or a science. They knew how to do it without taking it too far, and they wanted to make sure that these prisoners felt the full weight and the full consequence of their law-breaking or their whatever it is they were put in prison for. So they're taken down into this dark inner prison with no light, no fresh air. Without first being beaten, think about this, it would have been more than an unpleasant place. But they were beaten. They were bleeding. They were thrown into this dark prison, down in this hole, so to speak. But not only that, it says their feet were fastened in stocks. Now, this word translated stocks is a Greek word that is also translated tree. It's the same word we see in Acts and in the epistles when it talks about Jesus being hung on a tree. It's the same word here, but it's, it's stocks. It's not talking about a cross. It's talking about a large piece of wood that would have had place for the 
for the feet to go, and they would have opened this thing up, and they would have closed it around their feet, and they would have spread their feet out to a point that would have been extremely uncomfortable. Then they would have fastened them into these stocks and locked it up so that they could not move their feet. They could not bring their feet together. They couldn't widen their feet. In other words, if you're uncomfortable in these stocks, too bad because you're not getting out of those stocks until someone comes and unlocks you. So they put their feet in those stocks, and then they shackled their wrists with chains. So they were chained by their wrists, and they were, had their feet put in stocks. The stocks were not just instruments to prevent escape. That prison would have prevented them from being, uh, being able to escape. The point of the stocks was not to hold them, It was more than holding them. It was a means to bind and to torture them. This was a common form of cruel torment used throughout the ancient world. The Greeks, the Persians, the Romans, just passed down throughout all these pagan empires. And they had perfected what it meant to torment prisoners. And so this was a very common thing reserved for those prisoners that were the worst of the worst, or in this case, keep them securely. And the jailer understood what this meant. So they got Paul and Silas bound with shackles on their wrists and their feet and stocks after they had been beaten with rods. Sound pleasant yet? Paul and Silas would have had their feet spread apart, bound uncomfortably with these heavy stocks, while their wrists would have been shackled in chains, all the while in complete darkness, with the most unpleasant smells, tastes, and textures, if you can use your imagination. Tertullian, one of the early church fathers, said of Christians in the stocks, because this was a common thing for Christians during the time of persecution, when they were arrested, if, if they weren't killed or before they were killed, to be put in stocks. Tertullian said, Nothing the limb feels in the stocks when the mind is in heaven. If you've ever read Richard Wormbrandt's Tortured for Christ, and you read his account of 14 years in the communist prison in communist Romania, and the unspeakable horrors that he underwent, through those communist regimes, and he talks about unspeakable things being done to him and put in unspeakable places and, for instance, put down in dungeons filled with rats for the rats to do whatever rats do to humans. And Wormbrand writes, in fact, he wrote a book called, uh, it's called The Prison Meditations, and these prison meditations were when he was in these circumstances And his mind was fixed on heaven while God only knew what was happening to his body. And this is what Tertullian is saying. Nothing the limb feels in the stocks when the mind is in heaven. And this is exactly where the mind of Paul and Silas was fixed. So I I want you to wipe out of your mind this picture that they're just in a prison cell and they're just walking around singing and praying. That's not what's happening. They're in a prison cell, their feet in stocks, their wrists shackled, They were beaten to bloody pulps and they're singing and praying in the midst of their extreme pain and torment. 
their minds were fixed in heaven. And in the midst of their torment and torture and the sensation of physical pain, that's hard for us to imagine, their minds were fixed upon the Lord. Their minds were fixed upon heaven. And Luke writes in verse 25, But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Remember Walter's story? He witnesses to one co-worker, but another unknown was listening. Paul and Silas, their minds are fixed upon heaven. They are praying and singing hymns to God. But the scripture says the prisoners were listening to them. Paul and Silas put into the deepest, darkest, most impossible of situations, imprisoned in torture, an opportunity for them to be bitter? God, why would you allow this to happen? All we were doing was trying to preach the gospel, trying to bring salvation to people, and this is the thanks that we get? But that wasn't their attitude. They weren't bitter. They chose better. They are singing and praying to God at midnight with an audience. And no doubt, God was moving in the deepest darkest, most painful depths of that prison. The prisoners were listening to these two men singing, proclaiming some strange doctrine, perhaps wondering if they had lost their minds. Are these guys crazy? Little did those prisoners know that Paul and Silas had indeed lost their minds. All in exchange for the mind of Christ. The scripture says, you have the mind of Christ. Well, which mind are you going to operate out of? Paul writes in Romans 12, 1, Brothers, I beg you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your reasonable act of worship, no longer being conformed to this world, but being transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. Paul and Silas had their minds renewed, and their minds weren't fixed in this world their minds weren't fixed on their problems. Their minds were fixed in heaven and upon Christ. And they were praying and they were singing. And yes, they had lost their minds to Jesus. They had become fools for Christ. They were singing and praising out of their mind in that moment. They had fixed their mind upon Christ. And in the midst of their tribulation, it was the joy of Christ in them by the power of the Holy Spirit that gave them the will and the strength to sing. Their joy was not counted by the number of stripes laid on them. You understand. Stripes or no stripes, their focus was on Christ and the glory of God. God moves even in the deepest, darkest places that we may find ourselves. God moves in His time. God moves in his way, and very often the when and the how is least when we expect it, and least how we expect it. Verse 26 says, suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. Earthquakes were not uncommon in that region. We just had an earthquake in that region of the world, a 
created a tsunami. This is the very same region where Philippi is, the very same region of the world. Earthquakes were not uncommon in that region. But earthquakes that opened prison doors and broke open stocks and loosed every prisoner's chain, that was a little bit different. It was not the earthquake that was strange, but the fact that all the doors and all the chains were no longer in place. But guess what? All the prisoners were. No one had escaped, which may have been the greater miracle in this story. Noah, this is the greater miracle, that the prisoners did not run away, but they stayed in place. It seems more than the foundations of a prison and its doors and chains were moved that night. Obviously, hearts were also moved. Perhaps those prisoners who remained in that prison were actually set free from more and severe and deadly incarceration than a Roman jail. Perhaps they were set free from their sin and their death. Perhaps the foundations of their sinful hearts were shaken and they had been eternally set free from the prison of sin and death. Because for whatever reason, suddenly the earthquake comes, the doors open, the chains fall off, the stocks are opened, yet all the prisoners remain. All the chains loose, the prisoners set free, not temporally, but perhaps eternally. What is impossible with man is possible with God. And the scripture doesn't tell us all the detail of what happened that night. It does tell us what we need to know, though. It does not tell us how many prisoners came to faith, but it does tell us they all stayed in place. Something more than the earth was moved that night. Hearts were no doubt moved that night. If to fear, if not to fear, then to salvation. We often focus on doors and chains, the outward appearance, but God always is looking at the heart. Man looks at the outward, but God looks inward to the heart. Samuel looking to anoint a new king over Israel, goes to Jesse and looks at all of his fine sons, tall and handsome and all kingly looking. And he goes through every one of them and he says, well, God, what's the deal? This guy looks like the perfect candidate. And God says to Samuel, that's your problem, Samuel. You're always looking on the outside. Verse Samuel 16, 7, For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Samuel says, you got any more boys, Jesse? Yeah, I got one little runt out watching the sheep, David. But surely it wouldn't be David that's going to be king. Samuel said, go fetch the boy and bring him. And when David comes and Samuel lays eyes on David, God says, that's your king right there, anoint him. Because man looks on the outward, but God looks at the heart. We're looking at doors and chains and stocks and wondering how we're going to get out of this impossible situation. And God says, that's nothing for me. When we should be looking at the heart. And we think if we can escape in the natural, if we can change our natural environment, if I can get out of this natural prison, if I can get a, a bigger house, a better job, more money, if I can just get to that place where I'm, I'm self-sufficient, then I'm good. And God says, that's your problem. You're looking at all the wrong things. Because what you don't see is your sin and your death and the darkness you are actually imprisoned in. 
And we're looking at doors and chains and stocks. And these prisoners no doubt wanted to get out of that prison, but something happened that night. The earthquake came, but more than the earth was moved, hearts were moved. And I believe there were not just a jailer and his family, but I believe there were prisoners that were changed that night who were set free, not from a Roman jail, but set free from their sin and from their death. And they no longer feared what Rome could do to them because they had encountered the God of creation, the God of their salvation, the one whom they should truly and rightfully fear. God shook the earth to move hearts, not doors and not chains. The prisoners were all there, but perhaps they were no longer all prisoners. Jesus came to set the captives free, and it's not doors and chains that hold us, but it's our sin and the death that sin brings. Simply walking free is not being free. Being set free in Jesus means no door or chain or earthly means can keep me bound when he has set me free and I have fixed my mind on him. Verse 27 says, And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm. For we are all here. The normal reaction of the jailer upon seeing the doors wide open was to assume the prisoners had fled. That is typically what prisoners do. Even kids know this, right? That's typically what prisoners do when given the chance. But there was nothing typical about this situation. The earthquake was not typical. But more importantly... The two men in the deepest part of the prison were not typical men. Remember, they were servants of the Most High God, proclaiming to all the way of salvation. Even the demons knew this. The keeper of the prison awakes from sleep. He sees the prison door opens. He decides to mercifully take his own life instead of Rome taking it cruelly the way they would have. Because when a jailer lost his prisoners, the sentence to that crime was death. So to be a jailer in Rome, you better be a good one. Because if you ever lose a prisoner, you will lose your life. Which should tell us something about this jailer. It wasn't the meek and mild manner that they put in charge of jails in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was just the opposite. It would have been the meanest, cruelest, most intimidating people you could imagine who were put in charge of Roman jails. And this jailer, seeing those prison doors open, assumed the prisoners were gone, and he knew what that meant for him. And he said, I'm not going to let Rome do to me what Rome does best. I'm just going to take my own life and end it mercifully right here. And Paul knew. And by the Spirit of God, Paul calls out, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Thus, truly, the greater miracle here. Then the jailer called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. The jailer could hardly believe it. He calls for light and enters in to see not only Paul and Silas, but all the prisoners still there. As he makes his way down into that inner prison, he sees all the doors open and all the prisoners are there. 
in response to all that had happened, this Roman jailer, who is no mild man, fell down trembling before his prisoners. Jailers don't do that unless their hearts have been moved, unless they're stone-cold, hard hearts like the foundations of the earth had been moved. The miracle wasn't that the foundations of the earth were moved. The miracle was that the heart of that jailer was moved and the heart of those prisoners were moved. That's really the difficult thing to move. Men move earth all the time. But men can't move sinful hearts. But God can. And the jailer's life had been saved by Paul. Why? So that his soul would be saved by Jesus. Verse 30 says, And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer brings Paul and Silas out of the inner prison and asks the all-important question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Not physically, but spiritually. There are some commentators who believe that the, the jailer was actually asking now, how do I save myself from what I know is going to happen to me because my prison just got disrupted? I don't believe that at all. I don't believe the jailer's fear was of Rome. At that point, the jailer knew what had happened. The jailer knew that there was no man, no human force, no human power had done what just happened. No human power not only opened all of those prison doors and unlocked all those shackles and loosened all those stocks, but there was no human force that kept those prisoners in place when all of their chains and all their constraints were gone in the dark of night, just after an earthquake. It was their perfect opportunity to leave and escape and get away with it. And yet, they all stay in place. That was the miracle. That's what caused the jailer to fear because he knew whatever power just shook this earth has also shaken my heart and obviously shaken the hearts of all these prisoners in here because they're all still here. And he could not understand that. The jailer knew that he had experienced a power far greater than Rome. And he now feared God. He saw the fear of the Lord in Paul and Silas. He saw they had no fear of Rome. And perhaps he could not understand that, but believed the fear of Rome could be put in any person under its power, which is why they beat them. It's why they tortured them. Rome knew how to put fear in men. That may have been true, for all the men he had encountered up until that point, he knew how to put fear in men. He knew as a jailer how to put the fear of Rome in human beings. But he saw two men who didn't fear Rome. They feared something greater. They feared a power that he did not know. They feared a God that he did not know. They feared something that he could not understand but he knew whatever it was they feared, that was the greater power. Thus he said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That was the saving grace of God and the beginning of wisdom for this jailer. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. 
Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. They proclaimed the word of the Lord, the gospel of Christ, to him and all who were in his household. And the jailer's house was there. So you might be wondering, why was his family there? Because the jailer lived there. This is what he did. So his living quarter, his house, would have been adjacent to that prison complex. We're going to see in just a moment that it was more than likely up above the courtyard that they were getting ready to go into. And when the earthquake hit, the natural thing was for everyone to get out of the buildings to an open space, which is why they all ran down to the courtyard where he's, get, where he's encountering his family now, where he was. That's where he came from. And when he calls for a light and goes into the prison to find Paul who called to him, don't harm yourself, he brings them out. And his family is there. And it says, they proclaim the word of the Lord, the gospel of Christ to him and to all who are in his household. The earthquake woke them, and in the commotion of all that had happened, they all came down, they all came outside from the buildings for safety to see what had happened. His household would have been his family, but it could have also been servants, slaves, those who assisted him there at the prison complex. Whoever was part of his household, they're all there. He called for a light, not a flashlight, but a torch. So some servant, somebody went and got him a light, and he goes into that prison with that light and sees Paul and Silas and falls down at their feet, trembling. They would have all witnessed not only the earthquake, but the fact that all the doors were opened and all the chains were loosed, yet all the prisoners were still there. That in itself was a miracle none could deny. God was moving hearts. He was moving inside and outside of prison cells. Verse 33, Then he, the jailer, took them that same hour, that's Paul and Silas, he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. And what the jailer did was the jailer took them out of that prison, out into that courtyard area where there would have been a well or a cistern, which would have been the water supply for that prison. Remember, they don't have plumbing like we have plumbing. They didn't turn a faucet. They had to go to a well, they had to go to a cistern, but they had, they had brought, they knew, Rome knew how to bring water. You can still go to the Middle East, you can still go to Italy today and see the aqueducts where they would transport water across miles and miles and miles of terrain to areas where there was no water. Cisterns were, wells were, were everywhere. So he brings Paul and Silas outside the prison. Now they've come out from the inner prison They've come out from the general prison. Now they're in this area where there obviously was a water source, whether it was a well or a cistern. And what does the jailer do? It says he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. He took them, which means he didn't bring water into the prison. He took them outside the prison to the water and washed their stripes. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes. Up until this time, as would have been typical for prisoners, Paul and Silas had received no attention for their many stripes. The beating they took, they just took it. 
dried blood, broken skin, bruised, whatever their condition was, that's how they were put into the inner prison. That's how they were put in the stocks. It didn't matter how painful it was. It didn't matter how uncomfortable it was. The more painful, the more uncomfortable, the better. That's the way Roman prisons worked back then. You'll learn your lesson maybe and not repeat your same mistake. But this jailer takes these prisoners out, and the Bible says that he washed their stripes. That word washed means he bathed them. Like he washed their bodies. In other words, he, they weren't just beaten a little bit. They were beaten, and they would have had blood splattered all over them. They would have had blood on their legs, blood on their backs, blood on their arms. He washed them from head to toe. He washed the dried blood off of them. He cleansed their wounds. That's what this word washed means. The jailer took Paul and Silas and he washed their stripes. This was the jailer's first act of faith. This was the first act that indicated more than the earth was moved that night, more than the foundations of a prison were moved, more than doors and chains were loosed, that jailer had been loosed from his sin and his death and from his unbelief. And this was his act of faith, to take these prisoners that were his responsibility, not to care for, but to make sure they didn't get away. He takes them outside the prison and he washes their stripes which was an incredible act of not only mercy and kindness, but an incredible act of faith. This jailer who cruelly and unmercifully, no doubt, put Paul and Silas in those stocks is now with mercy and care and compassion washing the stripes of these prisoners of his. Something had indeed changed within this jailer and his act of kindness toward Paul and Silas were the significant, the significance of his new heart and his newfound faith. The jailer washed the stripes of Paul and Silas. He literally bathed them, meaning he thoroughly washed off all the blood, all the filth, everything that was on them. It does not mean that he put them into the prison's water supply. This is the water they had to drink. So you understand, the jailer didn't put Paul and Silas into a cistern that they get their drinking water from and contaminate it. It means that he took them to the source of that water and he very meticulously bathed them. Whether it was a well and he had to draw it up or it was a cistern and he had to Pull it out with a bucket. I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But we know there was a water supply for that prison. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a prison there. And the Bible says immediately after he washed them, he and all his family was baptized. The Bible tells us no more than that. He and all his family were baptized. They were baptized by Paul and Silas. So, Immediately after the jailer washes Paul and Silas, Paul and Silas wash the jailer. They baptize him and his family in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They baptize this family into Jesus Christ. 
We don't know how many. We don't know what their ages are. It doesn't tell us. It just says he baptized the jailer and all of his family. And no doubt they were baptized right there in the prison courtyard near and below where the jailer and his family lived. How do we know this? The very next verse. Now when he had brought them into his house. You might have a version. I think the ESV correctly words it this way. Now when he had brought them up. That word brought means to be brought up. And this would have been very common in that day. That that prison outside that courtyard, that jailer lived somewhere there above that courtyard. Which is why immediately following the earthquake, the family, the household is all there. They're not just getting out of the house because they think the house might fall down. But they're right, this is where they live. This is who the jailer is. The language here, when he had brought them into the house, indicates that he brought them up into his house. The house or the living quarters for the jailer and his family were obviously above the courtyard of the prison. And from the courtyard, you would enter the prison proper, and from there you would go down into the inner prison, where those needing more security were kept. That's where Paul and Silas were initially. And breaking all protocol, the jailer not only brings them out of the secure place, doesn't just bring them into the prison proper, but he takes them out of the prison proper, brings them into the open free area where the water supply is, and then washes these prisoners. And then not only that, but after he washes them and then he lets them wash him in baptism, he takes them up into his very own house as his guests. And after he had thoroughly washed them, he brings them up and sets food before them. And the Bible says he rejoices having faith in God with all of his household. Think about it. Just, just probably an hour or so before, this jailer had a sword in his hand ready to fall on it and kill himself. He was that hopeless he was that despairing because he knew what his fate was. He knew what his Roman fate was. He had no idea what his eternal fate was because he was a pagan. And he probably had the same faith most other pagans did back then. That he would go into the afterlife with his ancestors and, and all would be fine. But he went from complete despair and hopelessness that he's going to end his life to now entertaining prisoners as his guests and rejoicing because of his faith in God with his household. His newfound faith and eternal life are reason to rejoice. Our faith in God and eternal life in Jesus are reasons to rejoice, church. No matter how deep or dark our circumstances are, there is always hope in Jesus. Paul and Silas were praying and singing at midnight, and instead of moaning and complaining, like I do very often, instead of moaning and complaining because they knew where their hope was, they knew the power of their God, they knew why they were imprisoned, it did not move them. 
Their faith was in Jesus, not in their ability to manage their circumstances. If we have faith in Jesus, we have nothing to fear. Even when we find ourselves in deep darkness with pain and suffering all around, God can and will move heaven and earth to save his children. He proved that, not, not by sending an earthquake and opening prison doors and loosing chains and stocks. That's not the proof. God proved that when he sent his only begotten son to die on a cross for us. We shouldn't have to see the earthquake or doors open or chains fall off. All we need to know is that God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him, even a Philippian jailer who was a pagan, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. That is the good news. That's our good news. That's the hope we have. We all have hopes and dreams for this life, for this world. I have hopes and dreams. You have hopes and dreams. I have hopes and dreams of how an election will go on Tuesday. I have hopes and dreams for the nation God graced me to be born in. The nation I love. The nation I cherish. The freedom that's been given by the grace of God. But regardless of what happens, we need to know who's in charge. We need to know that Jesus is Lord. We need to know that God moves the heart of a king like he moves the course of a river. We need to know that all authority comes from God. And whatever happens, nationally or personally, we have to look to Jesus. Because there's not anything too deep, too dark, too hard. There's nothing impossible for God. So we have every reason to rejoice. This is why Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. This is what we're thankful for each week we come to the table. We thank the Father for the Son, and we do so because of the Spirit that lives in us. So Christian, trust in Jesus. Come to the table today with thankful hearts, knowing there is nothing too difficult for our God. Come to this table with thankful hearts, knowing that it's not what's happening outwardly, it's what's happening inwardly. And what happens here in this heart can give you peace no matter what happens out here. If there's no peace in here, it doesn't matter how good life is out here, you won't have peace. Peace begins right here in your heart. And He is the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. Amen? So Christian, welcome. Come to the table and welcome to Jesus. Let's all stand. This is your charge today. Our charge from God. Don't despair. Pray. Don't moan, sing. Don't complain, give thanks. Don't fear man, fear God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Trust in Jesus and be saved. Trust in his promise for you and for your household. Rejoice in the Lord 
always, and again I say, rejoice. Amen? Amen. Let's sing our thanks to God.